Hey everyone, just a quick note before we start to say thank you so much to everyone who has supported the show by buying me a coffee. If you enjoy an episode, you can say thank you, support the show and encourage me to keep producing episodes. It's buymeacoffee.com slash out of hours. You can go to the link in the show notes. And a massive, massive thank you to those of you who've supported so far, including Charlotte, thank you so much, and a very mysteriously named Nonny Mouse. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, yeah, and thank you so much. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it. And I hope you enjoy this episode. People don't like being vulnerable. They like being fabulous or, or they don't want to complain, right? Or they don't want to be needy. They don't want to be vulnerable. All Everything that is authentically going on when you're chasing a dream feels very awkward to share about. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. There are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the show, we have Lauren Zander, life coach and author of the book, Maybe It's You. In this book, Lauren offers a step-by-step process that has transformed the lives of tens of thousands of her clients and explains how anyone can achieve amazing things when you stop lying and finally start keeping the promises that you make to yourself. Following a realization that she'd been living a life full of lies, she decided to clean up her life and tell the truth. The result was a lifelong successful career in life coaching, writing, and entrepreneurship. She was in the first vanguard of life coaches, a newly emerging industry at the time, and counts the well-known life coach Mel Robbins as one of her early clients. She's also the coach of Hugh Jackman, the actor in Wolverine and The Greatest Showman, who has cited her practice as a slap taken, a dose of reality and motivation when preparing for The Greatest Showman. We talk about why people are so afraid to commit fully to their projects, why lying makes our lives so unenjoyable, and why she doesn't care that coaching isn't an industry for everyone. I hope you enjoy. I wanted to tell you how I came across your work, listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast with Hugh Jackman, who talks about you so highly. So he says that one of the things that you said to him, and this was when he was preparing for Greatest Showman, he says that you said, I think you're preparing to choke. You're laying the safety net for why the greatest showman won't work. You're thinking up all the reasons outside of yourself for why it won't work. And you have 24 hours to either decide to get on or off. But if you're on, you need to be 100% in. And I want to just take a moment to talk about that because I just think it is so common that we kind of approach things that feel scary or that feel like we're not 100% sure about with one foot slightly out because we think that it protects us. And I would just love to kind of invite you to either just talk more about that conversation that you had with him or just about the concept more generally, 
about why you think we do it and, and how we can stop doing it. So the main thing I force a person to face is your inner dialogue. And no one really admits how much they're talking to themselves or what the little bugger is saying to you at all times. No, really. If you actually wrote it down, you'd be horrified, embarrassed, and um, shocked, right? Because it, it, it'll insult your children, right? Let alone your own behind, right? Like, so what you're willing to say to yourself that you then pretend isn't happening in there is one of the main things I study and make a person wake up to. I call it your lower self. You have a lower self. Your lower self is overdosing on fear, no matter who you are, even if you're huge, right? Like at the tippity top of one's career, you're like, he's just like everybody else. It's like those ads in People magazine. You drink coffee too? Just like everybody else at every level of success, it doesn't mean you're experiencing your own success because the voice in your head does a number on you. And so he was incredibly scared because that musical was really like, I, from what I remember, don't anybody quote me, but from what I remember, it was the biggest funded musical, you know, movie kind of ever, right? And the last one that, you know, was done on earth flopped, right? So he had plenty to be scared of. And so his inner dialogue was prepping him not, he already got paid, right? Like the, you know, a floppy movie, right? Is just like, oh, well, right? But he is, he really is an, a beautiful man who commits to his work. And so when we were doing the work on him, we were figuring out what his inner dialogue was saying, right? Mm -hmm. And he was running amok, and he was working deeply with me on his inner dialogue in all areas of his life, right? And so we weren't just cleaning up his career. We were cleaning up anything that was going on in his head because people do not hear what it's saying. And because you won't slow it down, you think it's you. You think that's you saying, don't go. You don't want to get out of bed. No, no. What if he doesn't really like you? right? Like you think it's good advice, but that voice in your head or the few that you have in your head are not to be trusted. There really is your inner dialogue telling you, betting against you, creating a choke so that you knew you were going to fail. You didn't just, like you, you knew you were right. You knew you were wrong. You knew if you win, you it's like it kind of bets on every hand. Right. It bets against you. It bets for you. It, it takes credit for everything. But the last thing it has to do is um, rock hard, rock, like throw its hat over, believe in the self so much so that you go, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Right. Like try over and over and over till you're deeply satisfied with your your higher self going. I'm happy with that. So that's the gist. Did that explain it? Yes, yes. But do you think the solution, if you take, for example, someone taking on something that feels really scary to them, like a well-funded movie that you're not sure whether it will succeed or fail or something yes. more relatable in someone's life, which is starting a business uh, that may succeed or fail or whatever the thing is that feels, you know, out of your comfort zone. 
why like why do we do it is because is it because we're attached to being right so we're like if we're no I don't think it's right or wrong like you're trying to be right you're trying to feel lessen the risk you're trying Mm -hmm. to feel safer fear fear isn't dumb fear says look both ways fear is brilliant in in proportion to certain things like it's not a dumb thinker right but the way fear overrides into everything keeps us not taking risks not telling the truth not asking for what we want and we're always speculating why if i ask my husband for this if i ask my kid for this if i say this to my boss if i if i you know ask a friend to do me a favor right so we are always scared of someone saying no or getting rejected or we want to avoid uncomfortable feelings right we don't want rejection we don't want to be losers we don't want to be sad we don't want to be upset and so we'd rather kind of hide and watch television right or eat something or have a drink and then say society's the problem right like it when we have and guess what society's the problem like none of your answers are wrong you just don't ever get to live the way you wish you'd live. You don't get to have true pride in going for it. And then here's the real upsetting truth. You can utterly go for it. You can utterly give 100% and you can fail. So if you don't go for it, do you fail? No. So it's kind of genius, right? If I don't go for something, I never have to experience failure. Right. Yes. True. If I don't ask that of my husband, I don't have to hear a no. Uh huh. Genius. If I enjoy eating my cookies and watching TV and say, I'm never going to get that date that I really want anyway, you know, because two years ago, it never worked out for me. You're right. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's the problem is, is fear is legitimate and failure. It could be eminent, right? Like (laughs) imminent, right? So risk and being a hundred percent in something doesn't guarantee success and that's very upsetting to people who want to succeed and so we you know would rather cry and choke than live and fail so it's like a comfort thing it's it's a it's, it's avoidance of fear it's avoidance of discomfort do you think it's it's, it's statistics, right? It's, it's betting, it's looking at all the odds and going, uh, I should be smarter and, and why open a restaurant? Have you seen all the failures, right? Why believe in the, my soulmate? Have you seen all the divorces, right? So it's very logical to believe in failure, fear, be happy with just enough. And people don't understand that past your fear is a sense of pride and learning and failure and failure is not the enemy failure is failure and if you ever want anything in your life that's great if you want to study anyone who's great you will see a very long list of failures Uh, truly right and we don't like learning from failure but inherent in the word learning is you don't know something 
right? If you ever see trying to teach a little kid, I had three kids. If you ever tried teaching my kid when they're little how to do something, they're mortally, they're like so offended that they don't already know how to do it. Like, don't show me, don't tell me. Like we want to be good at things. And then we hate learning because learning's uncomfortable. You have to feel dumb. You have to make mistakes. Like, we like comfort, but it's a directly opposed to success. It feels like it's one of those things that, you know, with imposter syndrome, people learn about imposter syndrome. You could, you know how it works. And then when you experience it, you're like, no, 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 no. This isn't imposter syndrome. This is unique to me. I, you know, all of the things, and you're just describing imposter syndrome, but however much you know about it, you feel, it feels different. So for example, you can hear about fear and discomfort and you can say, no, I get it. Failure is a part of success. But then when it starts to happen to you, you're like, no, no, for me, this is different. How do you integrate those kind of lessons? It's very easy. It's the thing nobody wants to do. People desperately don't want to tell the truth. Desperately don't want to tell the truth that I had a shit day and that I'm scared I'm failing. People don't like being vulnerable. They like being fabulous or or they don't want to complain, right? Or they don't want to be needy. They don't want to be vulnerable. All Everything that is authentically going on when you're chasing a dream feels very awkward to share about. The only way through your feelings is actually, in my opinion, to share about them, the ugly truth, right? So I, throughout my book, throughout everything, I am always telling people my sick inner dialogue so they can tell theirs. Right. So the answer is talk about your fears. They disappear. They're not real. Right. And then other people empathize. And before you know it, you're both laughing about that crazy story. Right. So we, we don't let ourselves go through our vulnerability public. Right. Did you hear Hugh Jackman explaining his fear on Tim Ferriss, you're like, how come he did that? Because he's on the other side of it and he knows how healing it is and he knows we're all alike, right? So, you know, that's what I teach, which is tell the truth and stop protecting people and yourself from the uncomfortable truth of how vulnerable it is to be alive. None of us have done this before. None of us may be any good at it. The only way to learn is to suck. We don't like sucking, but if we can talk about it and be in our vulnerability, we will get better and better and better because we dream and we manifest. And then you have to take over You have to take over your inner dialogue. And basically you can't take over your inner dialogue if you don't know what it's doing all day long. If you hear your inner dialogue, you'll find out that you never say good things about yourself. Like in my book, the funniest thing is to get a person to write a dream that they are happy for. Like, this is what I live for in my marriage, my career. And it's like, they can't get one sentence out with, I don't want my, I want my husband to not, right? Like (laughs) we don't know how to talk positively. Like from ins, like I, from the word I want, I'm committed to, I dream of this being me. We're also not allowed to brag right? We're not allowed to be proud of ourselves. We're supposed to be humble, right? Like humble's where it's at, right? And, and you know, don't, don't show off, right? It's all very organized to stay smaller than what's possible. 
I feel like it's a good opportunity to talk about the three voices that you say exist in the inner dialogue. You have the brat, you have the weather reporter, and you have the forgotten. Can you talk a little bit about so how some of those voices show up? Because just for a bit of context for readers who haven't read your book, a big part of it is that you go through and you write 12 sections in your life and you say, how are you doing on them? You give yourself a score and then you write, um, what would your dream version of this thing be? And then you write, why is this thing not happening yet? And it's that third section that I think is so linked to what you're saying. And it, it is so powerful because you notice the difference between how easy it is to write the absolute dream versus the limitations or why you can't do it. It's actually very cathartic because you go, oh, yes, some of this stuff is solvable, you know, and you, but you realize that you've been telling yourself these things as if they are facts. I'd love to talk about those voices within the context of, of that dream setting or vision setting um, in your life. Absolutely. So I actually turn life into only 12 areas of life. In a human, there are 12 areas of life. And I demand of anyone who's working with me or taking a class with me or anything like that, that you have your dreams, right? And that you have all 12 rolling at the same time. Right. So because give examples, shouldn't we? So it's relationships. Um, it's your family. It's spirituality. It's community. It's your finances, your relationship to yourself, your body, which is all in health. My Lord, it's friendships. It's everything you can imagine is in there. Right. And what's happening is that once you write a dream, it literally sets the North Star. You set yourself up like, this is what I wanna fulfill on in my life, right? And then I ask you to rate your life. I give you a very funny rating scale because I believe in humor through all of this because we're, we are quite a ride, right? And humans are a bag of tricks, okay? And so you rate yourself on this scale, on a scale of one to 10, right? And if you're getting a nine in an area, I'm going to tell you to write a new dream, right? Like, because it's never over. And that's not like overachievers. It's not, it's not like, oh, you need more money. It's really anything you succeeded at, you can have another dream, right? So I've written my dreams many times over my years. And that kind of growth is fantastic. But what's happening is after you write your dream and you give yourself a six, right? And then you have to explain why you gave yourself a six right? In the explanation is a long <laughs> insight into yourself, right? And every damn line, like every damn line in your, in your paragraph of, of what you've explained, you can attribute to basically one of these points. It's um, your chicken. I won't be able to do that. I've never done it before right? Because, you know, my kids, and then if I, right, so you have negative theories, right, which usually come from haunting memories of your life. Like, so I have, I, I have studied this, I have done this, at, I developed this entire method while I taught for 10 years at MIT. And I used very, you can all hear engineering brains, it was fabulous, right? And so you, your voice of the chicken is anything that you're saying that I can't because, and then fill in the fear, mm -hmm. right? I, you know, I gave up dancing, so no one's going to believe I'm a dancer. Like these, it's a fear-based, 
theory. It's a chicken's voice, but it's a theory too. You know, the brat, right, is your procrastinator. Like I can, I'm never, I've never been good at getting out of bed early. I'm a night person. We all explain our personalities and it defends why that dream can't happen. So either you could have your explanation or you can have the dream. You can either have your explanation or you can have your dream. Basically, you're being called out on your lower self and your BS, mm -hmm. like very quickly. And it really is, how badly do you want that dream? How real is that to you? Because debunking the theories in this thing and killing your chicken voice, right? is very easy. Killing the brat voice is even easier. Chicken is like, I'm scared to ask him for, I'm scared to ask them on a date. I'm scared to ask for two days off. I'm scared to ask my boss for a raise. And then I have answers for that, what to do to fix that, right? Because you don't use your inner dialogue correctly. You don't script out what to the conversation with your boss. And then you can even script out what you're scared they're going to say, right? You have the answers to everything. The lie is fear has you by the balls. You won't come out and dream and then chase your dreams with take, chase, taking the right actions. And the actions aren't that hard. You even know what they are. But um, And you also have the weather reporter. Is, oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, oops. The weather reporter is my, is truly my favorite. Right. It actually, that's very funny. So, so the, the, when a person weather reports, right? They literally are, they, they say, it's always been this, like, it's a, it's a generalization, mm -hmm. right? I've never been able to, I'm an introvert, right? I've always been this way. It's been this way. I've never been good at it. Like I've never been good at basketball. I'm never going to be good at basketball. It's a generalization about yourself or the way the world works. Right. I'm too old to figure out how to have children. I'm too old. You know, so it's a generalization where there's just weather like, oh, you know, it's cold outside and I'm bad at cleaning the house. Really, I'll give you ten thousand dollars if you get the house cleaned impeccably. In four hours. Can I invite anybody? No. Okay, got it. I'm going, right? Like all of a sudden you're going to be the best cleaner in the world. So if you can say something that you've believed your whole life, but I could give you money like, and, and, and make you change your way, you know it's a weather report. So if I say I'm five foot three, which I am, sorry, I know nobody uses feet. Maybe you guys do. Um, I'm five foot three. You know, Lauren, become five foot seven and I'll give you a million dollars. And I'm like, yeah, I can't work on that one. But Lauren, uh, you know, lose 10 pounds, lose 20 pounds in, in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever would be healthy, right? I've never been able to lose weight. I've always been bad at it. I can't stay on a diet. I'll give you how much money would make you do it. And if I could bait you with a diet and, and money, like I, that could work, then you know it's a weather report. That's how you test whether you're weather reporting. And it's a theory that you believe in that's BS.
it feels like from that it's a matter of incentives right it's like if if there is enough at stake here then you're able to do it but then i think there's a bigger question right which is for example let's take exercising someone's like oh i've never been good at exercising society tells me that i should be doing x y and z there's not enough of an incentive i prefer doing other things and is there something quite cleansing about just going this actually isn't important to me so as opposed to constantly pushing you know like oh, i have i have a nickname for that so what I say is that if there's an area in your life you keep failing at, you need to see if it's one of your freak flags, right? Like some, a freak flag, something that's oh, okay. so you and everyone wishes you would change it, but you're really not committed to changing it. Like, and you feel guilty that everybody wishes you would change it, but you, you, you won't do the work. And, and instead of being embarrassed about your freak flag, what makes you you, right? Why don't you, and fly at half mass is what we would say, right? And pretend you're sad about it, but you don't change it. Um, what would be a miracle for a person is to tell the truth, they're never fixing that. If you wanna be a functioning alcoholic, just don't lie about it, right? The amount of functioning alcoholics I know who I coach, right? who will not stop drinking, right? And it, right? And unless they're, they're gonna ruin some area of their life, this is, what, this is their fun. So how many drinks did you have last night? And say seven, cause that's how many it was. But stop being embarrassed and lying about it because that's where the imposter syndrome comes from. You could be, do you understand? Like where you're gonna lie makes you feel like an imposter. And if you have lies in your core, like you hide from, like you go, where does imposter syndrome come from? I'm like, cause everyone fundamentally is still lying about things. So even when they're fantastic in an area of life, they know what they're doing to their husband or their kid or their boss, you know what I mean? So because you're still kind of a fraud in there and lying, you don't respect yourself enough to own all your successes either. You can't feel things if you're not authentic true to yourself, honest. And I mean, a hundred percent honest, not like a little or mostly, right? And so that, so I have a very different solution to the imposter syndrome. I think most people have the imposter syndrome because they are fundamentally lying in some area of their life, not being true to themselves or their freak flag. Clean up your lies and see what happens. They're still what's lying. An example, what's an example of that happening and, and having a big impact of like clients you've seen or in your own life? All of them, all of them. You cannot feel your success fully if you're still two-faced, a fraud, lying to people to keep other people happy. When pe most people lie to keep other people happy, right? And if you're lying to keep other people happy, you you believe like you think that's the right thing to do right and then when something amazing happens right you don't know why you don't feel like you made it happen yourself because there's you're a you're the common denominator in your life so if you're lying in your relationship in your marriage right like lying any kind of lies you're not like, he knows me, I love them, we love each other, we're authentic, it's fantastic, we get what we want from each other. That provides a level of self-respect that, that is profound, 
right? And most couples don't have it because they are lying. And I'm not saying lying is a dirty, bad word. It doesn't mean you're just, it doesn't mean you're cheating, right? It just, so when you don't have the kind of self-respect you need, which is I tell the truth, I don't withhold my truth. I don't protect you. I don't hide me. You can't tell me about the rest of your life. It's the most fundamental way to self, to have self-love. Okay. And if you don't have it, like you don't have that level of self-love, you're going to have a very hard time feeling lots of things because you're a fraud, aren't you? A fundamental fraud. You're lying to your wife. You're lying to your children. You're lying to the school. You're lying to the government. And then you're like, I want to feel whole. Then why are you lying? How can you be a whole person who has pure self-respect if you can't tell the truth everywhere? Outside of kind of obvious lies, where do you think the kind of more pernicious lies sit that we tell ourselves? What are the things that we that, that you think that your clients, you found that they're lying to themselves about these things because they're afraid, let's say afraid of hurting someone else or afraid of the consequences of it. And they've been honest and there's been positive consequences. Are there examples of that within your coaching practice? Uh, everywhere. Because you, no one gets to work with me without dealing with how they lie. Mm-hmm. There, I have in the book, there's seven different ways to lie that I have found. Um, but the one that most people have in spades, and that's the kind of saddest one, is withholding information. Um, withholding getting hurt. Like you hurt my feelings. You did that. Like people keep a list. Like if I name a person from back in high school, right? Right. Everyone remember, everyone remembers how they got hurt or who lied to them or everyone remembers lies. Mm. Everyone's listening for, are they being lied to? And everyone knows when they're lying and withholding information is one of the most damaging ones to the self, right? Like don't tell someone what you need or want. Don't ask for what you need or want because they're too much of a bully. They'll say no. I'll hurt their feelings, right? It's not, I'll get in trouble. If people start talking about vulnerable, intimate things, they don't know how the conversation's going to go on the other side. And pe- that's messy. That's dangerous. That's living. So most people create a controlled life where they only talk about these subjects. They don't, go, they don't go out of the boxes. Like the amount of people in a marriage that don't talk about sex is fantastic to me. Like I'm still waiting for the marriage that really talks about touch me here, I like it this way. It's embarrassing that two people that have been together that long still can't talk about shagging. No, really. And then pretend they like things they've never liked. No, really, right? So can you imagine that person feeling present in other magical areas of their life. They're not comfortable enough in their own skin to be comfortable in their own sex. So I honestly think we have an incredible amount to do do regarding getting to know ourselves and telling the truth about it. And when you go, what's the imposter syndrome? I'm like, no matter how great the results are, if you don't know yourself, if you're not authentic in all your relationships that matter to you, how are you going to feel your success? You really do feel like a fraud, as you should. Yikes. 
what would you tell those people who who are listening and thinking oh, it's scary to do that what would be your advice to them look at the lit like before you think you're the like that would just be so the first of all the inner dialogue will tell you this is a terrible idea this is so dangerous don't do don't do this right like this is awful stay a liar it's okay you don't need to feel your life it's okay that's not you 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 feel plenty right right so the first thing is it won't buy it but make a list right like make a list of people in your life you don't feel comfortable enough to tell the whole truth to you haven't reviewed everything you got hurt by right like first let's see the list because what you will find out when you make the list of cuz most people are withholding information not outright lying right i'm we're, i'm not even talking about the cheaters at this moment right and i have what you know if you cheated in a relationship you've been out of the relationship for a very long time and you've been an imposter for a very long time and you're welcome to stay the imposter my joke to that person it's not that funny is the best you when you're going to stay in a marriage or in a relationship where you can't tell the truth and you're lying right it could even be a job you could stay you can even clean up going forward right and stop lying now but the best the that will ever feel is like an 8 so there's no 10 there's an 8 on your scale so then most people are running around like a 6 it's like you always wanted to be a lawyer you always you got your favorite job but you're you can't feel why you don't feel how like why aren't you feeling more this is solving that right and so what you would do is you would make a list of everything you haven't said and you would see that it's really not that bad a list and then this other thing is pretty epic wait for it everybody if you're lying are they lying <gasps> yes take like you're not the bad human and they're the good human this i am talking 101 human condition so as you sit there going oh i do have all those lies with my partner you should go uh oh they must have all those lies with me so what i have people do is i have people go you know so let's say literally go okay there's a bunch of things i've never resolved with you if this isn't a fight there's a bunch of things i've never told you some of them i'm embarrassed i never told you some of them i'm very you know worried what you're going to think right i don't i don't have any major agenda with any of these i just want to come clean with it all and i want to be authentic with you and i want us to build our relationship and i think you better know all of these things because this is the real me that i've been hiding does that sound so hard or so bad no right you know so we're just chickens scared to be true to ourselves but stuck whatever in whatever personality we've honed ourselves into so yes my work is not for anyone who's dying to stay comfortable or the same or fake it mm -hmm. right i am for the authentic freedom fighter some people might look at your work and think mm there's it's kind of it's very heavy on kind of radical responsibility and actually in the wrong hands might end up with a feeling of 
low self-acceptance, right? Like they're like, oh, there's so much wrong with me. You're taking the title literally, like maybe it's you. Oh, there's something wrong with you. I already thought there was something wrong with me. Do you think that's people misinterpreting it? Or do you think that's just someone at the wrong time in their life engaging with it? Or do you think that at its core, it's actually based in deep self-acceptance? It's so much worse. Have you seen the human condition? Should we talk about healthcare? Should we talk about politics? Should we talk about how people treat each other? Should we talk about how much cheating is going on? Should we talk about um, how happy people are in their careers? Should we like what we will find are people are unhappy because they because they lie and they're not telling the truth and they're not making the right messes. Right. So I'm telling people to be true to themselves. I'm not telling people they're wrong. I'm telling people they're right. Right. I'm telling people that what you have to say deeply matters and getting it resolved with another person is the act of love. Right. Asking your boss for what you really need and you think you deserve is an act of courage. And then what's between you and your dreams are your excuses. And you've been telling them. So you're already living as your worst self. You're, and trust me, if I climbed into your, anyone's inner dialogue, what I will find is a very abusive voice. No one can be meaner to someone than themselves. I have, so I'm actually coming to save the day from how abusive an individual is to themselves, right? And actually give you a way out of self-loathing. Right. I love humans. And the shit show out there is because no one's being true to themselves and fighting for a better personal life in a way that they think they have the right to speak up. Right. And get it in their bed and get it anywhere. You know, basically, I think telling the truth and facing the facts whether it's on the scale in the bathroom, your bank account right? Or, you know, your lack of love life, right? Um, I think every single one of those, when you face the truth, is empowering to get you to take the right actions, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with humans having it. Like, we, it's hard to be human. So I don't start with the paragraph that you're hating yourself on, I start with the dream, which then makes you face the thing that's between you and fulfilling on your dream. Why do you think it's so hard for us to dream? And when your clients are filling out those particular sections in their lives and they can't find the answers or you can see that they're writing kind of mediocre, achievable things instead of crazy dreams, how would you encourage people to kind of tap into the things that they really want? Well, first of all, I recommend you don't do this alone. Like if you write a dream, you read it to someone who loves you and believes in you. Like I believe in buddies. So I got the book out, which was like the hardest thing I ever had to do. But my <laughs> audio program is called Inner You, which is basically the book in audio. And it has a buddy system. You need a buddy. So if you're going to get a book, read the book with a friend and literally do it in a group. And it'll be 100% more powerful, guys, right? So that my first answer is don't do this alone. And then when you write a dream, right? And you know you're gonna read it to someone, you actually, versus just with yourself. See, we can be sloppy with ourselves, right? We have lived with lying to ourselves. Like, I'm going on a diet tomorrow. Yeah, how was that? I'm quitting smoking tomorrow. Yeah, how was that? 
right? So because we've lied to ourselves so much, when we talk to ourselves and basically deal with ourselves, we don't believe ourselves very much, unless it's an area we're really good at. And we all have areas we're good at, really. So that's why you need support and you can't quite do the hard areas alone. So you've written your dreams. You've written all the excuses you have for why you don't achieve the dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, you, so you've kind of identified what those inner dialogues are. You've identified the things that keep you stuck. What are the next steps for someone who's going on this path with you? Same ones I use to this day. <laughs> You're like, Lauren, are, do you still have to do this? I'm like, yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I never get out of my own thing, which is in an area that you are, that you, we'll call it a scientific term, suck suck at, right? Not an insult, right? There's many areas I suck at. I need to make a promise, like a true promise. I'm going to do 30 minutes, you know, of writing. I'm going to I want to do sales, right? So I want to reach out to people or I want to like, you know, say nice, you know, send out LinkedIn messages to really see if I could reach somebody. So you commit to something and you make a promise about it. Like for 30 minutes, I'm going to spend on the sites. For 30 minutes, I'm going to reach out to 10 different people. I'm going to send out 10 jobs, blah, blah, right? Got it? You make a specific promise in time. And then here's the kicker. You must make a consequence and tell someone. You can't do it in a vacuum. We lie to ourselves. We're the easiest person to lie to. We love that shit, right? We'll lie. So what you do is, and trust me, the worst thing to do, which will get you to keep the promise, I'm making fun of myself, is all I have to do is tell my child that they could have 10 bucks or 20 bucks if I don't keep my exercise promise right? If I don't get my taxes done, if I don't spend an hour doing something, I really am resisting doing because resistance is fear. You don't want to deal with your fears. It's uncomfortable. And so what we do is we avoid it. But if you make a promise and you put a consequence in on the promise, you'll keep your promise, especially to your kid. Right. And then people always ask, well, why don't you, you know, give it to charity or do something good with it? Because no, it needs to feel ugly. Actually, it needs to be embarrassing. Right. So we we don't take care of ourselves. But if you tell your kid you're going to fill out that loan, they really will like, did you do it? Right. So you need to have um, something at stake. So like you had said in the beginning of the podcast, like if there isn't something at risk or something really big enough for you. So I put in consequences because that puts in the risk. I wanted to ask something around kind of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, because they're sort of linked in some ways. The intrinsic versus extrinsic is, you know, if you're doing something you absolutely love and you're in a flow state, you don't need to be setting promises. You don't need to be you know, disciplining yourself because you love it so much and it comes so naturally to you, you want to do it. Some people would argue, actually, no, we should just be chasing stuff that we enjoy doing naturally. First of all, I believe in only doing what you love to do. That doesn't mean you don't have to take out the garbage and life has all, like there's a percent of everything that isn't the fun part, right? (laughs) In every, but yes, I do believe in doing what you love. Okay. Um, But if you're really doing what you love, 
um, there still is the things that are scary. And so you could be an artist, but that doesn't mean you asked someone, you did a, a show and, you know, found a gallery yet, right? So it's the, the, in an area you're good and happy, like you exercise naturally and you are very happy with your body. Don't work on that area. That's beautiful. This is for areas that are not great, right? This is for areas that um, you want to excel in or that, that are good, but they're not your dream come true, right? So making promises is for an area you are having trouble with and you wish you would do more, right? So I, you know, I raise money for businesses, right? And because um, I started doing other things and, and trust me, that's scary, right? Coaching, not so scary. Calling people, talking about giving me money, very different proposition to make, right? And then talking to people I know about giving me money, very different proposition to make. So I needed a list. I had a promise, five calls a day, right? Now, I am at the point where I don't need a consequence, right? I make the promise and I write it in my, I design my day every day. Hugh Jackman talked about that also. Mm -hmm. So I design my day every day and I put my commitments into my design. So, and then I send my design to someone else that holds me accountable, right? So I use all my own practices, but it's more for um, achieving something you are scared of and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone or an area you suck in that you're done sucking and it isn't a freak flag, right? You're over your weather report, you're over being a brat and you really want to have, you know, a breakthrough in that area. You've had enough. This is advice and a tool that really works um, to break through your fear of picking up the phone or staying on the website or doing something that is uncomfortable. Let's take a quick digression to the design your day because I would actually love to know exactly how you do it because I have actually tried doing it myself and I have found it really helpful, but sometimes I think, hmm, is there a better way to be doing this? I, I think every individual is unique. So I more tell you what not to do. Um, first of all, there, I teach manifesting. Right. So I really do believe your inner dialogue is your voice connected to your soul connecting to universe. Right. I want to make fun of it because you don't have to believe in it for it to work, people. Okay. You don't need to be airy fairy and spiritual for manifesting to work. It really is if you keep thinking that something can happen and you believe in that thought or you believe in it and you take the right actions with it, it works, right? And you don't need, you just go, oh, well, that's just positive thinking with good action. Yes, I actually believe it's more spiritual. You don't have to. So when I do a daily design, I know what I want to accomplish today, but it isn't a to-do list. It's really more of a to-be and to have happened list. So I write it as if it already happened. I write in the past tense. I got the new job. 
or um, I have a great workout. I always, you know, I, I do two hours of exercise or an hour and a half of exercise every day. And I always download, like I, like on my walk, I download something that I loved thinking about and that changed the quality of my day. So I am also asking for things to happen. Right. So, and then I always use, you know, a, you know, I, I booked a new client out of the blue. Right. But it pertains to my schedule. Like it's in the current reality. You're dealing with your current life, but you're gaming your own life. Right. And you're saying the dream of today in your daily design. Right. And what I have found through doing it for 20 years with people and making people do it is by doing it every day before a certain time, before you even start your day, it changes your experience of your day. It's only, and you don't have to read it all day long. You don't even have to look at it. You actually, the only rule is come back to it before bed, right? And say, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Like tell the truth about what happened. And this is the part that's got some woo-woo in it and rewrite what you wished had happened. So even when I say I got a new client today, I could say, nope. And then I will correct it. Like it's coming. Maybe it needs an action. Like I have insights about my daily design and I correct in my daily design, which is how I do it every day. Yeah. And then I just invented a new thing. Go on. According to this one um, teacher of manifesting, which is the only guy I ever listened to, but he's really weird. Like I only listened to one of his books. So if you go into all of his books, I'll get in trouble. So, uh, but his name is Neville Goddard and I love um, feeling is the secret, right? And it's a little audio book and I love it. Okay. So feeling is the secret. And um, what he says, which I believe is that humans, when you sleep at night, your, your conscious day, your living day, what happened today imprints with your subconscious where you sleep. Like, why do we sleep? We sleep because that's where universe is. That's where we meet consciousness, right? So, so right before bed and going to sleep, whatever you're thinking about, if you're pissed, if you're hating the person who's laying next to you, waiting, like you're imprinting more shit to come. So there's nothing more important than going to sleep, thinking about exactly what you want to feel is true. So it's like, if you go to bed, imagining the lover that isn't there is there. And then you really imagine they're there and you lay there, right? It, according to Neville, you'll meet someone in the next two weeks, right? Like if you really get good at using your imagination, which he thinks is your third eye, which is your creative ability to make things happen, which I love, right? Which is why I break you into your inner dialogue, which is why you have to hear the crap in your inner dialogue so you can clean it out so that you can really channel your dreams, what you want for yourself, right? So before bed, I write an, an ND, a night design. I am not like a prolific dreamer, but I have been having dreams of things. And you're like, does it make anything happen the next day? I'm like, it has been so productive. 
you're like, what happens? I'm like, oh, out of the blue from LinkedIn, someone sends a note wanting to, you know, invest in one of my businesses. I'm like, from LinkedIn? What do you mean? Right? <laughs> like how'd this happen? So it makes like the more I add a print to the evening, the better my results have been. Right. So whether it just it it works according to me. How did you actually get into coaching? Like, what was the sort of short line of, of why you got into it in the first place? Because it was quite an early industry, wasn't it, when you first started? I, I am considered original gang. Yeah. Right? Like, it did not exist when, like, it did not exist. It was not a profession. I was made fun of. I got a degree in environmental studies from GW. I worked for the United Nations. I thought I was gonna save the environment. The more I worked on saving the environment, the more I hated people. Like it was awful, like it didn't feel good. It made me upset on the planet. Um, And then I had a revelation when I was 22 that um, the trees are fine. It's the people who can't see the trees. It's humans that have the problem. Like, we'll go extinct. <laughs> we'll be like, don't worry, right? The humans will, you know, that it'll all go bad. And so then I, so I realized I studied the wrong thing, and then um, went to work at a company that did self help. And um, I basically say they did. They trained me in everything I didn't want to teach landmark education. Um, And uh, then I went out on my own, like I'd rather save one person at a time than think I was saving hundreds of thousands of people and lying about it. And then I started working with like, and then I was very, like kept my promises of speaking to three new people a day and built my business and then had a booming business. And then, my big transformation was I, I developed, I started to see if I could teach someone else what I knew. Mm-hmm. Like, could I train another coach? And I trained someone who's pretty famous now. Her name's Mel Robbins. She was the first person I ever turned into a coach. And so that worked, right? And so then I kept going decided I wanted to build a company because I wanted to get into universities. I wanted to teach. Like, so I had big, 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 big dreams. And basically I've been living on them ever since. I'm curious, like 20 years ago when you were like, hey guys, I'm going to be a coach. And I think, or even now, like if someone says they want to be a coach, it's like a a coach. So you're going to tell people how to live. You know, there's still that perception that, you know, you think you're better than someone as a coach. Whereas obviously the reality is that you're not playing an active role as your personality or your identity in that same way, right? So as a coach, I am like, I'm helping people fulfill on themselves, right? I'm not telling you what your dream is. I'm not telling you what you want to weigh on the scale. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I'm literally telling, I'm holding you accountable. I, I hold your promises. I, so I'm a, it's really a coach, right? So what's wrong with a coach um so a coach on a football team is okay and a coach so I am a coach in life and I do work with the greatest 
CEOs, individuals that pay good money to be pushed to be more extraordinary, have insights they haven't had. And I, through my process that I've developed and it's proven and taught at Stanford, like I've done enough proving of myself that I get to say I have a great method. Um, but I started when there was no such thing. Yeah. And, and I don't need everybody to want a life coach, right? Like you don't, right? So naysayers should do it some other way, right? Like whatever, right? So I've never been upset that people don't dig it. Right. You have hard, to, right? Like 20 years ago to even just explain it or did, how did you explain it 20 years ago? Um, it was hard to explain. Yeah. It was hard to explain, but I'm very, um, I believe in myself. I'm still, and then what I used to, oh, that's right. What I used to do back in the day is I would offer someone a free session. And if I rock them in the free session, then they could book me if they want. And this is how much I cost. Don't take the free session if you're not willing to get rocked and book me. Like, can you afford me? Would you do this? Right. Because mm -hmm. I'll do a free session and you'll have an experience of it because I'm also teaching different ways to think, you know, like I, I have formulas that I can explain that when I'm with an individual or talking over the phone or looking at you, I can show them in that paragraph of their excuses, how deeply flawed the excuse is, mm -hmm. and I can pierce their fear. Right. So the value of a coach versus a book mm -hmm. is that I'm with you. Right. And I'm listening to your story and I'm helping you punch holes in your bad theory. And then I'm helping you figure out, you know, to make the right promises. And then you have to come back and have your promises done. Right. And so a lot of what I do is holding people accountable and making them take the right actions, which everyone needs one of those. Every, like that doesn't sound like advanced math, right? If someone was holding you to your promises and you weren't going to get away with it, right? They came into your room and got you out of bed. Wouldn't you be happier, right? If they walked you to the gym and made you go work out for an hour, wouldn't you be happier? If you got right, if you did the right thing, wouldn't you be happier, right? People know to do the right thing. They even mostly know what it is. It's the block of why they're not doing it that a coach breaks them through. What do you think makes a good coach and what do you think makes a bad coach? I know what a good coach is because I train my coaches and coaches walk their talk. So it's like you better like your hairdresser's hair, like what the person has succeeded in, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want a, an overweight health coach, okay? Mm -hmm. You want someone who walks their talk and that you're impressed with who they are. And then definitely check references and hear the success stories and don't do just the two they gave you, get five, right? Get, like ask for the list and the first three, don't call those two, get the last two, call the last two they didn't get. But you know, someone who wants to be a coach is, wants to make a difference, right? Someone who's you know studying to be a therapist really has most likely their heart in the right place, right? So, so you know, the aim is good. And, and usually they care more about who they're coaching than themselves proving they're good. 
I'm going to let you go. Yes. I've watched the sun go down and you're in the background. <laughs> so, so we definitely been speaking for a long time. But Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was great. Great. Thanks for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave it a review. I always read them. Or if you want more from Out of Hours, sign up to our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes.